You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hey, everyone. It's Krista Bontrager. I want to thank you for watching today. And this is, once again, my co-host, Monique Toussaint. Hi. So I think it's a good time, as this is sort of the third conversation we've done looking at this uh, interview from the Sparrow Conference to talk about for a minute, why are we doing this series? And and kind of in our culture right now, there's two approaches to race conversations. On the one hand, there's either we're not going to talk about race, we're going to avoid it, where we just we don't want to talk about it or engage in that conversation at all. Mm-hmm. Or on the other end of the spectrum is kind of almost everything is about race, and we're trying, as you said, to try to find a kind of some third way of, all right, how do we acknowledge our past? How do we acknowledge some things that have happened? But then how do we stay unified, particularly as Christians, and move forward together into the future? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I think that that's just really on my heart, that we let people know kind of where we're coming from. Yeah, and I don't think we by any means have all the answers, but highlighting, hey, this isn't working and why this isn't working, um, I think is important. And then hopefully as we continue down this road, we can talk about maybe this could work or what do we think about this and, you know, put our heads together for some better way, better ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also hearing from, you know, people who are watching this video or these videos, what are your thoughts on, you know, what are better ways? How could this be done? What do you see missing? What do you see too much of? But it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen in community, not just in the vacuum. Yeah. And in community, I would say in the context of a real relationship is, mm-hmm. is the ideal. I mean, it's just really hard on social media. There's so much screaming yeah, and verbal violence on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so and assumptions know, and, and lack yeah. of grace, lack of patience. Yeah. There's lack of forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to pick up where we left off with uh, Akemini Uwan. And we just finished talking about unity in the body of Christ. And so we're going to back it up a few seconds here, but we'll pick it up and see where we go. The reality is that um, God has made us as we are on purpose. So that means he made me black on purpose, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I love, Even though it is difficult, right, to be a black woman in America um, and to be in the church as a black uh, black woman, I love it. I would not trade it for the world at all. Um, But he's not saying, you know, that there are not distinctions because unity presupposes distinctions, right? You know, I mean, what what are we uniting over if we're all the same? I mean, right? There's no, there's no tension. There's no difference. There's no nothing, right? Unity is not uniformity. And so the reality is that that's not exactly what he's, what he's getting at um, in, that, in that scripture. But uh, people will use that as a means to, uh, to make this very false, this false choice that God never puts before us between our Christian identity and our ethnic identity. God doesn't make us choose that, you know, because he himself didn't choose. He's right now enthroned. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, in his, in his body right now, you know, with the nail scars and everything. Um, there is, again, a brown-skinned Palestinian man. That is what Jesus is on the throne right now. Um, and so we don't have, we don't choose between our, our Christian identity is expressed through our ethnic identity. It's, it's expressed through my tone, my inflection. It's expressed through where I live, my culture, my upbringing. Um, it's expressed through my mannerisms. <laughs> so <laughs> it's expressed through all of these things. We don't have to choose. It's a false choice and it is not right. And I think when people say, you know, um, but, um, your identity is in Christ. They do that in a, as a means to, it's a form of erasure, really. And so you end up erasing, erasing sorry, um, the, the person of color's racial you know, identity, right? Because whiteness is a default. So it's like, oh, I'm just being a Christian, right? Not, not knowing that their Christianity is also mediated through whiteness, right? Um, but okay. then ours is mediated. So let's make some some points here. So once again, the verse that she's referring to, we mentioned this at length in the last video is Galatians chapter three. It's verse um, 28. It says, there's neither Jew nor Gentiles, neither slave nor free. There's male, nor is there male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we talked about kind of the mythology of saying of, of colorblindness mm -hmm. at the end of the last video. But I think we should probably extend that conversation a bit to now let's talk about the diversity side of things yes. of like, yes, unity is important. We are to be unified in Christ, that Christ is the foundation, which mm -hmm. is the point we made last time. But we also have to echo her very fine point about diversity because yeah. unity does presuppose diversity. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think that there are things that we need to be unified over. Where I disagree is that my... Christianity is expressed through my ethnic identity. I would say that it should be flipped, that my ethnic identity, now that I am in Christ, would be reflective of my Christian identity. I believe that as Christ is our foundation, then everything we do flows from that. I don't know that the flip side of that, like, because I'm Black, everything else needs to then flow from that. So... The, the point that she's making, and I, I want to tease this out a little bit more because I think that some of our white viewers might not understand what she's saying, mm -hmm. is that she's saying you kind of almost have two foundations. There's Christ, and then there's your ethnic identity, your, ethnic identity, your race, your culture mm -hmm. that's part of that. And, and that she's making the assertion uh, that Christ doesn't make us choose. Yes, and so you can be equally a Christian and a black woman and that all of those things are at the root of your identity. Nothing is more foundational than the other. See, and that's where I disagree. I believe that my Christianity. Is that what she's arguing, though? I believe so. OK, that's right. what it sounds like to me. And I believe okay. that my Christianity is my first identity. And from there, yes, everything else flows out of that fountain. Um, now, am I a black woman? Yes. And are there things that I do because it's part of culture and I do it like second nature? Yes. But I also must remember that my foundation first is Christ. And if that is true, then me 
molding myself in the presence of someone else to not be an offense to them because of my love, my kindness, my compassion, whatever that is, it's okay. That doesn't take anything else away from me. I feel like when Paul says, I become all things for all people, he wasn't saying- In order I, that I might win some. Yes. Yeah. That he's not saying that, well, I am no longer a Jew. Right. Or I am no longer a Christ follower. Right. But this is the end goal. And for her to say, you know, I don't know that, or that she doesn't believe that Christ is asking us to choose. I would agree. He isn't asking us to choose. He's telling us, I am your foundation. And from here, everything else flows. And, and to follow the example of Paul out more, um, he wasn't so bound to his culture and his racial identity as a Jew that he wouldn't associate with Gentiles. He yeah. broke from his cultural practices, the, the heritage practices of his people to go fellowship and eat at same tables with Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And um, because in Christ, everything was clean and he could break away from his culture. I think what's important though, to understand is that white people have had a tendency to overlook cultural and racial differences mm-hmm. and flatten things out yes. and, and think, well, we're just being Christians Yes, and not to recognize that people do have different cultures and different practices and that to some degree we need to kind of ask ourselves some questions as those of us who are in leadership. Okay. What part of this is cultural and what part of this is Christian? We need to kind of separate these things out a bit more. Mm -hmm. Like just to give an example, you and I have talked a lot about is worship practices, worship Mm -hmm. songs. Yeah. Um, I don't think we as, as many white people are, aware of how much our worship is influenced by our culture. Mm-hmm. And if our church is only ever singing Hillsong and Bethel songs, goodness gracious. And we're thinking we're, we're, I'm going to do a church plant, multiracial, multicultural church plant, but all mm-hmm. we ever sing is Bethel. Yeah. That's not going to, that's not going to work. Yeah. That's not going to be able to bridge that divide. Or but if, if you we, just want to stand up on stage with no shoes and your one guitar <laughs> and your Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know? that's 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 cultural. Yes. But we think in our minds, oh, I'm just being a Christian. Yes. And we haven't stepped back and kind of exegeted the culture from which we come from to understand what we're doing mm-hmm. and where it comes from. So if we're really going to engage in a project of a multicultural, multi-ethnic church that reflects heaven, we're going to have to think circumspectly about our worship practices. Yes. And not become upset when someone in the congregation says, Hey, would you mind playing something like Ty Tribbett? Or can, you can, know, can, can we, we switch can we it up over a little have Israel, one Israel, Marvin Israel Sapp, Sapp. Okay. You know, like just <laughs> something else. Yeah. And what I've seen is that people become extremely emotional, extremely frustrated and irritated when those requests are made. And when I say people, I'm specifically talking about white people. When like I I go back to my time at Biola, you know, asking, hey, can we do this in inside of worship as well? Can we have a a chapel worship band that's a a black worship band or that just reflects more than just the three guys with the guitar who were here bare feet. Yeah. You know, and that was such a problem. People didn't understand like, well, I enjoy this music. So why don't you? Yes. Christ is our foundation. And 
I still do walk in my skin. I still do walk in my culture. I still do have these these things that are a part of me. As do I. Yeah. And so I feel like when we come into one, if we're going to truly build a church that is reflective of heaven, if we're truly going to be unified, it can't just be, well, you need to come over and be unified to me. And if we maybe, if people are struggling with this, maybe we could use and by argue our point by way of analogy of a different example, and that is multi-generational problems. Mm -hmm. That's, those are two different subgroups. You know, you always have the old versus the young. And when you're doing in a worship situation, I think both sides have to be willing to give. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if, if we're trying to have a truly multi-generational church, we might have to sing some older songs and the younger people have to be willing to go along with that. And the, we might sing some more contemporary or current songs and the older people are going to have to be willing to go along with that. And so there has to be some, some give and take on both yeah. sides. That's what we're arguing. Yes. For the good of, of everyone. Yes. And of unity and of being reflect a reflection of heaven. Yeah. And that's really the big picture issue is, when we're building a local manifestation of a church, because the church is universal, it's worldwide, it's global, it's 2000 years old. But when we're having a local manifestation of the church, we want it to be a picture of the community mm -hmm. in which the church resides, as well as a picture of heaven where every tribe, nation and tongue has, yeah. has come to Christ. And, and I also think that it's just a good practice of love. Yes. You know, if I can't love you by saying, hey, this week we can have a Hillsong, you know, song in my all black church. I, I feel like what are we really doing? Like there's something else. There's more heart issues at play than there are issues about worship. I think as white people, we have to understand that we don't want to flatten out the diversity um, just thinking that our culture is the one we're comfortable with. Yes. So everyone needs to conform to that. Mm -hmm. We want to have some give and take and to recognize the culture. Now, why does she go into this, this little soliloquy about how she acts and how she talks? Like, what is that about? For her, I think she's saying like the way that she speaks, if she moves her, because she she's very expressive, like when she moves her arms and things like that, like that is part of her cultural identity, her ethnic makeup. And that's how she expresses her Christianity through that kind of like Italians are loud and like garlic. <laughs> so don't judge me. I am yeah, kind of <laughs> like I but I mean, it's a stereotype that all black women are loud and domineering. And, you know, so. I, I don't know. I also have a problem with the fact that she puts these stereotypes on our culture and our, and our women and then has a problem when whites do the same. Like, is it, is it, are stereotypes bad? Okay. Like that's the, the, the bottom line. Like, are they bad? And if they are, then why do you get the privilege to do it? Or why do I get to do it as a black woman to my own people? But if somebody else steps into that space, then we can't. And so it's kind of like, well, do as I say and not as I do. Okay. All right. Let's pick it up there. Let's keep going. Uh, I'm, okay? I'm not exactly that sold on it, but it is what it is. This is what I'm using right now. It's, I call it the bleachification of Christ. And so we, we liken Jesus Christ to a bottle of Clorox where it's all of a sudden when we get saved, you know, it's like Jesus doused us with a, box of Clorox, uh, with a, a, a bottle of Clorox and all of a sudden 
none of this matters. All of a sudden, you know, now it's like I have to assimilate and move in and, and do whatever it is so that I can make maybe the majority culture make, you know, feel more comfortable or that way I can get some, rest, some reprieve, right? So you're just trying to fit in in some ways. And so um, we have to be careful. We don't have to, God doesn't put that choice before us. He just, he's never asked us to choose between those two things. Um, and that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think the intentionality of our God and his creation of us yeah. um, oh, yeah. is to hear you there's a beauty in how he's created us and a beauty in that story. And part mm -hmm. of that story has been lost. Oh, yeah. Um, and so when you think about pressing into this space of being able to rediscover who we are, or mm -hmm. to celebrate who we are in a way maybe we haven't done before, um, what are the dangers, maybe one danger of us not doing it? And what's something beautiful that you've experienced kind of pressing into this space and seeing either women of color or white women come to a space of understanding this is who God's created me and how it means for me to embody my ethnic identity in a way that allows other people to flourish. Mm -hmm. So the danger, tell me the first part again. The kind of what's the danger of, of us not entering into this space, of kind of ignoring the conversation or not? Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. oh well, the danger is that we'll, we'll continue to perpetuate, you know, um, the, the oppression, the racism, you know, that's, that's been happening. Uh, and we have to not only just come to these conferences, but then apply what, what you're learning and hearing. You know, if what I'm saying is making you uncomfortable, you got to ask yourself why, you know? Um, it's, because uh, race is an idol. It really is. Whiteness is an idol. There are benefits conferred to that. But our idols mean to kill us, which means that whiteness will kill white people too. We have got to disabuse ourselves of our idols. Every and anywhere we find them, we must be determined to kill them. You know, okay. I kill them on God. <laughs> let's talk about this. So let's talk about killing our idols. Uh, well, she said race is an idol. Yeah. And then she immediately went to whiteness. whiteness. So my, the, the question that comes to me is, is any other race an idol? Is race by itself an idol? So all races are idols. And, you know, which I kind of think maybe she might believe because race is a social construct. But it's very but, confusing to me because earlier in the video, she said, you know, that race is a social construct because genetically we're we're basically the same. But yet then. Whiteness. Earlier, if I understood whiteness is not my race, it's a culture. But then she comes here and she says, we need to repent of our idols repent of our race, and then she goes immediately into whiteness. So am I repenting from my skin color or am I repenting from my culture? I don't know what I'm supposed to kill, How I'm, what idol it is that I'm supposed to kill. I think she's saying that you need to kill the culture. Okay. Not necessarily the skin color. That's very confusing, though. Yes. The way that she's worded that. And the lack of definition. Yeah. Yes. Now, where I pick up issue is that... She says race is a social construct. Race is an idol. Kill whiteness. But, but don't all you see that the, the mixed metaphors there? All along the way, she's been promoting and supporting, encouraging, praising black. And, and is she praising black skin, though? Or is she I, praising black culture, blackness? That uh, seems very... 
conflated to I me. Think it, I think it's both, actually, because she says, I love my black skin. I love, I, I think she says that. I love, um, you know, that she loves being in this black body. And so that would also include skin. And for her includes the culture and the mannerisms and all of those things. So in some ways it feels very much like double talk to me. Like it's, if you're a person of color, you can celebrate this and you can celebrate being black. You can celebrate being black. You can celebrate being whatever cultural identity you, you um, like is yours. Okay. Except for being white. Whiteness is violent. Wicked rooted in plunder. Yes. Yes. So, but if that is, I I guess the bigger question is how does she define race and ethnicity? Because if her definition of, of race as a social construct and as, um, as an idol, if she's looking at me and, and my race being African-American, my race would not be an idol, but only yours would, or my race would not. There's, there's a double, it's like double talk. It's and like I'm not race even, is good and your race is bad. My I'm, race is good. Your race is bad. And I'm not even sure how I would go about that. Yeah, I don't know how I would kill that idol. Do I burn my skin off? Well, Do she's, I, I don't think that she's referring regarding to whiteness, the skin itself. She's referring to... But she compares, she says, race is a social construct, but then she says race is an idol. My race is my skin. And if I have to kill my idol, how do I get rid of my skin? And she loves her skin, but I, I'm just super confused. Yeah. And when I got to this point in the video... The first time I watched it, to be honest, I was just crying. I was so confused. I'm like, I don't think I'm a racist. My closest friend is black. How do I make sense of this? I think, and again, like I could be completely off base. I think that when she's talking about whiteness and race as an idol, referring to whiteness, she's talking about the systems, structures, and things like that that have that we talked about in the last video that have been designed to keep people of color down. Okay. That's the best guess. I do feel like she is double talking in in the idea that she promotes her race, she promotes blackness, she promotes her skin color, and then says on the flip side that Race is, is a social, not social construct, but an idol and whiteness is wicked. So I do, I can see how that assumption is made. I don't think that's what she's trying to say. I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's what she's trying to say. She just isn't very articulate. Um, and it's not very clear. Yeah. Yes. That is a better way to say it. It's not very clear in, in how she's articulating it. My theory of culture is that all cultures are fallen. Mm-hmm. All cultures have structures that are the result of sin. We all have practices that are the result of sin. Now, different sins are embedded in different cultures, but that all cultures have sin structures mm-hmm. and that all cultures also have structures that 
I think, reflect the image of God. Yeah. Because the, the image of God still is in us, although fallen. So what's difficult is that the, for me, it, it, as an outsider, it kind of makes it sound like she never critiques black culture mm-hmm. as having a sin structure. Mm-hmm. And whatever sin structures are there, I'm suspecting as a result of white abuses or whiteness. The only sin structure in view in a culture is the white culture. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, it feels like the setup is that white culture is irredeemable and it must be repented of and killed. But black culture is collapsed with black skin and there's really nothing that she talks about in this video is being like, well, here's my side of the coin in black culture. Here's things we need to work on in black culture. It it's, it, does that, am I, am I missing something? You're not making that up or missing it. I think she, she would, she may say that those are things that are addressed on the truth table podcast Okay. because earlier or maybe later actually in the video, she's going to talk about how, they don't center whiteness. Oh yeah, earlier on, we yeah, talked about that. Yeah, they don't center whiteness on the the show, and yeah. so everything that they're talking about is regarding the black community. Okay. Um, I also think that to some degree she might agree. Like all of the plight, um, of the black community, the struggles, the yeah, difficulty could be in some way tied back to slavery, tied back to the emotional abuses in slavery. How those things were never truly corrected and so now you see men today who are still struggling not necessarily with with, well it is a sin problem it is a heart problem but those problems derived because through the generations no one has really spoken into the problems that were first um instituted in slavery okay i'm not saying i believe that i'm just saying that that's what i think all right let's keep going here God's altar, right? Lay them down. This is why we can come to the cross. We can leave it there, you know, um, and it can be covered by the blood. We got to, we got to lay it down um, because there's real implications for people. You know, this is not a game. Um, We have, well, you guys are in Texas right now. We have, there are image bearers, Latinx image bearers locked up in detention camps. Someone say concentration camps, dying, languishing, being sexually abused right now because people chose whiteness, right? They chose white. They chose a man to be elected in office who is all about whiteness at any cost, you know, no matter what, doesn't care, just, just, just made crass jokes about people seeking refuge, seeking asylum here, seeking life here, only to come to their own demise and their own death and their own ruin. So there's real political consequences in here. Um, And so you you have to divest from whiteness, you have to divest from patriarchy, white women specifically, because over 50% of you all voted for Trump. And you gotta ask yourself why, why? When this man said that he grabs women's vaginas, white women's vaginas, specifically, why, why, why? You have to ask yourself that. You have to do some real soul searching. Though the stakes are very high, 
for you and for other and people of color. People live behind your decision. And we have another election coming up in 2020. You have a chance to do right, to, do, to vote differently, to do something differently. You have okay, a chance. Let's, let's stop it here. I'm just. Okay, so I really try to stay away from politics on the show, and I don't want to talk about our personal feelings about Trump other than you and I both agree that no matter how anybody feels about a president, whether you agree with him or not, all Christians everywhere have an obligation to pray for our president. Um, you know, the, Matthew says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, um, pray for your enemies. Mm-hmm. And and in James, it says not to speak curses over any any other human being because they're created in the image of God. So you and I yep. belong to different political parties and see things differently sometimes, see things the same sometimes. But we both agree that scripturally, these are our our, our obligations yeah. as Christians and as Christian parents to instruct our children. I think that her point is that these things are ideas only of white people. That's a good way of saying and it. And yeah. that if you be- you belong to a camp that believes in national security or borders. Like national borders and protecting your country, then you are following the white ideals. They would jump on. She may, may jump on to the verse that Jesus was a refugee. I know that kind of, there's no verse that says Jesus is a refugee or the, the thought process. I don't know, whatever. I have a video Um, on that on my YouTube channel. Okay. There's that. (laughs) Um, but all of those issues get conflated and then just really dumped onto whiteness as if I cannot believe that securing our borders would be a good idea. And that if I did believe that, then I am still in my pre encounter phase. I haven't become woke. I am whitewashed. You've all adopted of these whiteness. Things. Yeah, I've adopted whiteness and I need to be freed from that and come out of that because apparently the only right way to think is to to think according to how she thinks and to have the ideals and mental framework that she does or yeah. that people who believe along those lines do. Yeah. Now, I can completely see leaving some parts of American culture behind. Yes. So um, when you look at things, like I said, certain systems that were in place and and how certain people benefited from that. Yes. That was that was an ideal I think that that was an American value set up post-slavery. Like if you were to look at the issues from slavery and trace redlining all the way through, you can see how certain things played into now. Now here we have this. I don't think that that means that every white person is wicked. I just, I don't. That's my own personal, you know, thought. And I am welcome to own that. I just strongly dislike the the idea that in order for me to be woke in order for me to have a consciousness or to to, even be a moral person i have to agree with this line of thought yeah it's a very hard thing because now you can see how all of these issues just kind of get collapsed on top of each other Mm -hmm. and you know oh if if i as a white person want to engage in the project of racial reconciliation, it's not just a matter of, of, of figuring out how to do a church plant and, and doing racial, a racially diverse church or, 
multicultural it's, church. It's yeah. and now it's like it's belonging it, to the right political party. It's, it's having the right, right right identity. Exactly. It's all of these things. But it's a good illustration how critical race theory it really is a worldview that if you think this way, it's not just impacting you know this one little area. It it starts to go into many applications. And I think she's absolutely right about that. What I think is that critical theory, when you hold to eat and people adopt critical theory without even realizing that they're adopting this worldview. And then once you're holding on to that, then it's so much easier to adopt the the offshoot of critical race theory, which is how how they are applying critical theory to things such as race. And as her, going to her comment about repenting from of white women should repent of patriarchy and going with this line of thought that um, the only reason white women voted for Trump was because their husbands told them to. And what does that mean for white women, that you're docile, that you have to be told what to do, that you can't think on your own? I wonder. There are a lot of my friends took issue with that. But I wonder yeah. how she would, well, I guess. Rob, I didn't vote for Trump, by the way. Don't make any assumptions about who I voted for. Even though um, Robin D'Angelo, who wrote the book White Fragility, is a white woman. And I'm I'm sure she didn't vote for Trump. I mean, I've never met this woman, never talked to her, not too sure what she looks like. But based on her books, and I've read a couple of them, I don't believe she would have voted for Trump. But if she's a white woman and whiteness is wicked, in some ways, everything that Juan is asserting on to you, she also was asserting on to D'Angelo. And so I wonder where does all of this break down? And if you're a white woman who believes like Juan, do you get a pass? Like, are these things not applicable to you because you've become woke and now you're past the pre-encounter phase? Is the pre-encounter phase applicable to white people? I, these are your questions. These are my questions. Let's go. Let's keep going here. Just trying to give you options here. There's options. Okay. We have options. Um, so the, so the benefit, obviously, if you're here, you care about this stuff, right? You might be mad at me now. That's okay. We don't you know, really have options. The there are two people who get to run for office. Let's, let's really be clear. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you have all these other people who have their name in the, in the hat and things like that. But the reality is, is that there are two people. Yeah. And sometimes you're voting for the lesser of two evils. Yes. I can choose the devil or her, his sister. <laughs> I, I just can't even. All right. I trust the Holy Spirit will get you together in Jesus' name. Um, but the benefit is that we can hopefully begin, people of color can begin to breathe in spaces like this. I think that you can hopefully begin to exhale. Hopefully some of the burden is lifted a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to also not take something away from you. I'm trying to replace it and give you some tools on how to move forward. In some ways, that I could give you some resources too. So yeah, why don't you go to do that? If you got one or two books that you can <laughs> talk to people, because I think some people are like, okay, this is this is whoa, you know, lot, yeah. saying words I don't understand. And the, that's the point of yeah. this because I want to swing you forward to a challenging mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. um, because there's a beauty at the other side mm -hmm. of it of, for us to be who God intended for us to be, um, and that means we got to walk through some hard stuff, but we do that right. because we love each other well. Yes. So what are yes. some? Amen. Maybe one or two books you can throw out to the ladies that yeah. they can look up online. Yeah, remember, everything I'm saying is all for the sake of love. It's the sake of love, you know. Um, but, but love comes with truth, and truth 
is div devised truth stings. It's tough sometimes, but I hope you hear it's love and grace. Um, I don't hate you. I love you. I want everybody but to be free. Setup is that truth only goes one way. Because if I were to give my thoughts, then I am living in whiteness, that I am in a pre-encounter phase. I am not woke, whatever. There is a reason why my truth, and I'm going to put this pencil down before, you know, things get rough. Um, but there's a reason why my truth is not welcomed, appreciated, or heard. So if that's the setup, then truly truth can only come one way. And she is now setting up what is truth, capital T. And one, I don't consider what she's saying capital T truth. I feel like it's capital O, opinion. <laughs> this is These are her beliefs and this is her theory. And her it's a, a worldview that, yeah, yeah. that's out there. But that doesn't mean that the other side can't respond, but that's the setup. The setup is that if you respond, you are wicked. If you respond, you're you not are part of the truth, not part of the truth. You yeah. are living in an unconscious state. You are not participating according to your culture. You are denying your culture. There's so much that's set up when she when she says, I'm just giving you the truth. She's not coming from the idea that this is my truth, that this is how I think of things. Like when I say I stub my toe, my truth is that I am in pain, whether you understand it or not. That's my truth. She's saying that this is truth. With a capital T. Yes, this is truth. And you better get on board with it. And earlier, I don't know if you caught the reference, but she said, but that's what the cross is for. That's what forgiveness is for. That's why Jesus died which kind of collapses this whole thing that, oh, if I don't repent from whiteness, am I really even fully a Christian? And that's where some of these critical race theory people are going mm -hmm. in questioning whether people like George Whitfield or, or um, Jonathan Edwards were, were real Christians um, because they weren't woke. It, it, it leads you to almost this place of, of kind of this second class Christian mm -hmm. uh, and that your, your, your belief system or your, your, your relationship with the Lord is somehow less than. It makes me think about the question of can good people do bad things? Yeah. Which will be a and, great video for us to explore that. Yeah. And, like how do you reconcile the idea that good people did bad things or that bad people did good things? Right. You know, so we can, we can even flip it. If you want to, look at, you know, certain people as being quote unquote bad, then how do you explain any good that right. they did? Yeah. Um, but I'm really worried about this setup as truth. Yeah. Because to come against it, you're coming against truth. So I'm coming against scripture. I'm coming against Jesus. Yeah. You know, like I'm not the just, cross. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's finish it out here. That's why we have got Amen. to divest. All Amen. of us got to divest from whiteness. Um, so some books. Um, you can read uh, The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter. If you just Google the title, the author will come up. Um, you can read Working Toward Whiteness. So when you heard me talking about, you know, um, you know Polish people, it, um, um, Irish people, Italian people, you know, talking about, you know, people that came over, remember, because... This is, nobody's a native here unless you're a Native American, right? We've all come over somehow, some way, except enslaved Africans who were here by force, um, again, because of whiteness. 
Um, so, so, you know, so they've come over and they work toward whiteness, right? So that's the title of this book, Working Toward Whiteness. It talks about the story of how um, European immigrants move, you know, kind of disabuse themselves of their ethnic heritage in order to move toward whiteness so they can have power and privilege. That was written by David R. Rodiger, I believe. Um, and then he also wrote The Wa Wages of Whiteness by, again, David R. Rodiger. Um, and then White Privilege by Robin DiAngelo. And I feel like there's another one. Uh, I think how the Irish became white, but I forgot. I think the, the, I think the author's last name is Ignative, I-G-N-A-T-I-E-V. Okay, so those are some of the books. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, and we'll get those for you from you yes, and then I we'll can, make it available yep, to you guys as well. I can do that. Yeah. Can y'all show some love to Akemini? Thank you. Yes, drop it. All right. Okay, I finally made it to the end there, to yes. the, the final applause. Yes. Uh, let's talk for a quick minute about the books that she recommends. Mm -hmm. A couple of observations, and we're not familiar with all of these books, but we did quit, make a quick kind of look at them on, on Amazon. And uh, maybe we talk about D'Angelo first. White Fragility, that's, yeah. That's the one we're, you're the most familiar with. I'm reading right now White Fragility. And she definitely holds to a critical race theory. View. She's a white she, woman. She's a white woman. Yeah. Um, white fragility, it says in the opening, is written for lay people. It's written for like the white woman or white man who may not understand why the conversation of race is so hard. Um, and the title is not just white fragility, but it's white fragility. Why is it so hard to talk to white people about racism? Um, and it's not a Christian book. It's not a Christian book. She's not it's, a Christian. She's no, no, I don't know if she is All or right. isn't. I know that she has gone and spoken churches, but I don't know if she is or isn't a Christian. Okay. Um, but yeah, so she holds to critical theory, critical race theory. The other books that Juan mentioned, um, they don't appear to be Christian books. They appear to be more of like a historical treatments of various issues related to immigration mm -hmm. and, um, people immigrating from Europe over here and kind of assimilating into whiteness culture is, yeah. is what she calls it. Um, but they've, one of them in the description said something about, you know, it was a mixture of Marxism and psychoanalysis and, and uh, yeah, uh, history. So, um, but I think what's, What's interesting to me is given the audience's lay people, this was a women's conference. A Christian women's conference. Christian women's conference. I did find it a little curious as to why she didn't mention any Christian books. Um, just because I know that when I'm speaking on something that is fairly new to people and it's kind of technical, which I would argue critical race theory is very technical. Um, I usually try to find like a Christian book that I can recommend to them It'll sort of orient them to the conversation mm -hmm. from a Christian worldview standpoint and help them begin to distinguish like, well, this part of this issue we can buy into and this part of it we don't buy into and, and you know, sort of begin to orient them to the conversation. I just thought it was a little bit curious. I would never recommend a, five, a list of five books that weren't Christian to a Christian women's conference unless they were a bunch of Christian women with academic degrees and and you know some some level of knowledge already under their belt about it so. here's the thing that it's that christians who are speaking out about this already hold to this viewpoint so eric mason um is one that i know of like Tamar tisby 
um, from the what is it po- podcast? Um, yeah, um, the witness. No, the um, witness. The witness collective. Um, yeah, is that it? Yeah, yeah. He um, he does hope to this fuse, and yeah. he has written books about it. So I don't know of one author, white or person of color, who is speaking out and saying, "Hey, hold up, this theory." And worldview poses problems in the church. And so if with the exception of maybe like Neil Shenvey or our friend Dr. Pat Sawyer. I mean Yes, but they haven't they have written, written a book. any books about yeah. it. Yeah, they're just on Twitter yeah. making comments, blog posts, that sort of thing. Provocative comments and yeah. blog posts, but they haven't written any books. But if you want to, Dr. Sawyer, I'm just saying I'm in your corner. You got you. Would you like to be a co author on that book with Dr. Pat? He would just write me in circles. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'd just be like, "Wait, what?" Um, but so what this reminds me of is the verse in Matthew 12. or yes, twelve and Luke eleven, um, where it talks about the house being swept clean. Like you have to bind up the strong man in the house. The house is then swept clean. But then if nobody like takes care of the house and the spirit leaves, he's gonna be like, "Well, I'm just gonna go back to the the place where I was." Does that yeah. make sense? And we might need to read the verse or y'all can go ahead and read the verse so you don't take it as like my truth. Um, But what I see racism as in the church and this issue of like critical race theory and all of that coming back to the church, I see it as, and you'll have to like help give some, some better exegesis to all of this in a minute. But I see it as racism was a problem in the church. We held slaves under the auspices of Christianity, of looking at, um, you know, my skin color as being my sin. And this is now why I should be enslaved. Yeah. And I've got some videos on my uh channel to that effect, talking about the problem of the Southern Baptist, the curse of Cain. Yeah. All of that that. plays into Um, what you're saying. Or even like, the slave Bible and like passages taken out, like all of that racism was alive and well in the church. It was having a heyday. And then you begin to see the church sweep clean some things. But now what I see is that people in the church, and I'm not talking about in the world, like you, you in the world, do what you do. You do you. And I'm going to be happy for you. That's you. I'm going to encourage you to come to Christ, but Hey, but What I see in the church is that people aren't wanting to continually engage in the thought of, hey, this is where we came from. Let's not go back here. How did we get there and how did we get here? What did we do? Let's continue to remember. Let's continue to work toward unity. I think there's an assumption that because racism today looks so different that we don't need to address racial issues and have conversations based on race and injustice. We've swept the house clean. I'm just going to go about my business. We like, don't have slavery anymore. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't have slavery. We don't need you to talk live about- where you want what you're complaining about. I think that that spirit, though, that was kicked out of the church has kind of made its way back in because no one has been guarding the doors to say we still need to remember. We still need to talk about this. We still need to make sure that we are securing our unity. Now that spirit of racism has come back and it's just geared toward you. It's just looking at you where I know critical race theory people and other, you know, people of color or, you know, even whites. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who was white and said, no, whites are the oppressor. And I was like, oh, I didn't even tell you about this conversation. Yeah. But um, I was like, oh, okay. I don't believe that. But all right. Um, But 
to me, it's just, it's not a reverse racism. I don't believe in reverse racism. I just believe that it's racism. And it's pointed at you instead of being pointed at me this time. And so this is why it's so important that we in the church are talking about this. Because if we don't, then we're leaving the door open to our swept house for another spirit to come in. Another spirit of division. Yeah. Racial partiality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just aimed at a different group of people. Yeah. But it's the same spirit. Yeah. It's the exact same. It's not that, oh, the spirit of racism from 1671 is now gone. And, you know, here's this new thought in the church. We're trying to bring freedom. No, it was kicked out and it has just made its way back. And it's like, hey, nobody guarded the door. So I'm just going to come on in. I can bring seven of my friends with me. And I think on that note, um, we'll wrap it up there. But I, I love how you landed that because there is a spiritual component to this conversation. There is a, a demonic component yeah. to it that yeah. the enemy wants to divide us and keep us divided and to cause us to speak slander over each other, to distrust each other, to be fearful of each other. And our hope is that through these conversations that we are walking in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit and that we will walk in love and grace and deference and forgiveness and going again and yes, rejoicing in the truth. Yes, calling the past what it is. It, it was, we as a culture made mistakes and we made wrong turns, but we also made some right turns and we've arrived at a better cultural moment. But we need to continue to improve and we need to guard the door. Yeah. And um, not to uh, fall back. It's very important to remember. Thanks yeah. for doing this with me. You know, I know that people appreciate it, appreciate all that you bring and and uh, to the conversation. It's tough for both of us. It really is. But, yeah. you know, it's worth it in the end. I think the feedback that we've gotten has just shown that it is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. People are being helped. So yeah. and that's good. Thank you for watching. Be sure to catch uh, other videos on my YouTube channel. I have a whole playlist there on racial issues. Uh, I've got some on, um, other just biblical issues, biblical passages related to race. So you can go continue those conversations there and also check out the Uan explainer video from the Sparrow conference that gives more of the historical context for the video that we've been watching together. Okay, everyone. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.